Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Yes, you're listening to WBT. You're listening to the wonderful News Talk 1110993WBT. Voice kind of strange. Uh, timbre a little bit different. Mode of, of speech different. It's that Chad Adams guy. Yes, he's sitting in for Pete Callender. We want Pete to feel better. He's feeling a little under the weather today, so I'll be sitting in at the captain's chair here for the next couple of hours. You're welcome to be part of the conversation, as always. Continuing our journey into broadcast excellence at 704-570-1110. 570-1110 here on the fabulous WBT. Thank the staff and everyone uh, operating quickly. And again, want Pete to get back, get well. Love doing this. Love WBT as all of you. Now, there's a lot to cover. I don't know if there's any sensical order to anything I'm about to tell you. But it, but it's there. <laughs> there's much to discuss. But does it make sense? One of the funniest stories. One of the truly, and, and you have to have, kind of a perverse political sense of humor, which I am endowed with, uh, to project this to you, to give it to you in a way. We're going to go through some complicated stuff. It's stuff that, you know, I remember one of the great lines in comedy was that a comedian's job is to remind you of stuff you already knew but forgot to laugh at the first time. What I'm going to tell you today will not seem strange to you at all. It will be odd that it's real, but it won't seem... That's that's the Isn't that kind of the looking glass way we look at the world today? As we see stuff, we're like, I can't believe that. I can't believe they're they're talking about that. You can't believe it, but you're not surprised. You know, when you see that the Surgeon General's assistant, Assistant Surgeon General is a man dressed in a skirt, and that somehow represents a victory for women, you see it, but you're not surprised by it. You shake your head, you go, Is this really why did when did women give up the ghost on this stuff? When did when did being a strong woman get relegated to the dustbin of history? When did being a proud woman, when did a Margaret Thatcher become something less than a Margaret Thatcher? You have to wonder about that. You do. So the first one, and it's it's the North Carolina Supreme Court, and it's a case about voter ID, redistricting, all this stuff. So the Supreme Court, so Josh Stein, the aspiring governor and attorney general for the state of North Carolina, and the governor, who's the former attorney general and aspiring governor who became governor, who to this day, if you interview people, cannot be associated with anything as an accomplishment other than being elected. And again, that's a personal opinion, but it's shared by many. If you interview them, you'll you'll know. So what happened is that the Supreme Court rejected just in a in a in a one almost a one sentence ruling, you know, just rejected their, in fact, it's kind of amazing to read this. I read it yesterday. It's, uh, it, it is from the North Carolina court of appeals. It's actually the, the Supreme court. And it, uh, it says the following order has been entered on the motion filed on the 3rd of March by governor Cooper and attorney general, Josh Stein for leave to file an amicus curiae brief. The motion is denied. That's it. The motion is denied per per NCR appeal P, uh, page thirty one D. It's rule. It's appellant rule thirty one D by the order of the court in conference. This the ninth day of March. Just reject one sentence. The governor and the attorney general rejected in one sentence. So you read that and you go, okay. So what's going on here? 
So why would the Supreme Court reject the governor? Well, you read into it a little bit more and you find. So you had Will Doran, uh, who I think is a good reporter. Right? I th- I've met Will a few times. Good reporter. But he's going through all the reasons why this could have happened. He makes some excuses why this is bad. But here's the reality. And here's the funnier part. It was rejected. It was rejected. The appellant rule 31D is a rule about rehearings. Now, this isn't sexy or exciting, but it it gives you insight into the way our sitting Democrat leaders function. The rules don't apply to them. And so here's an attorney general. It was attorney general forever. uh, Roy Cooper was. The current attorney general has been there for a while. And, well, six years and, and then you look at this, so they submitted something, they get rejected, the governor says, with each passing day, this partisan Supreme Court... Now, notice it's only partisan when they're not Democrats. When they're Democrats, it's a completely legit court. Anything, Supreme Court, North Carolina Supreme Court, anything when Republicans l- inhabit those seats, it's partisan. But when Democrats occupy those seats, it's not partisan. So here's Cooper, now that we have a partisan court, he says that the partisan Supreme Court shows that it cares only about the views of Republican legislators. That comes at the cost of voting rights, school funding, and ultimately our democracy. Now, I said that with a bit of swarminess, but the reality is it said in a very, I can't read it the way Mr. Rogers would read it. I can't read it the way Governor Cooper would have read that because it would have come across like he was trying to get you to put your shoes on, to come inside, to be his neighbor, to be his friend. Nonetheless, Everything that he just said there is false. Accusing the court of being partisan would, would, no matter who's running the court, you could say they're partisan. Democrats appoint them, they're partisan. But they're not really partisan. It's the way you interpret things. This court interprets the rules as the rules without a partisan lens. And the rule that they cite, 31 days, you would think, you would think that people that inhabited all of these you know, it's a 5-2 decision. You would think that the people who were the AGs for the state of North Carolina would know the rules. You would think they would know the rules. Appellant Rule 31D has rules on rehearings. That's what Governor Cooper and them are, are talking about. This is why your brief was denied. It has nothing to do with partisanship and everything to do with the rule of law. For 22 years, you guys have uh, allegedly known the rule of law. It was denied because they violated the rule of law. In other words, they've already submitted an amicus brief. They wanted to submit another one to add to the case. Well, they've already filed those things. So they were denied. And that's the kind of ludicrous. And and the press, instead of calling them out on this, the News and Observer, they make excuses. Well, there's another way to interpret it. There's this. No, no, no. 31D is the most recent one. That's the rule. The rule. It was rejected on a simple rule that Roy Cooper and Judge Josh Stein together with decades of experience as your chief law enforcement people, did not know. That's a competency problem. It's not a partisan court problem. You know, having been a county commissioner and, and you run, I was young and, and I was, I, look, I was as conservative then as I am now. And when you run, my, my opinion of things was anything that I did as a county commissioner, was it worth taking away money from people who earned it to do that? And that sounds, I mean, I used to irritate my, my fellow Democrats on my board. Uh, it drove them nuts because they, they just didn't see it that way. They felt like people in public office are doing great things, and it doesn't matter because it, what, it, what ultimately it means to, meant to them was that what they were trying to do in elected office was inherently good. In other words, you having your money and buying your house and owning things – 
you weren't making the kind of choices they were making via property tax redistribution. And And it sounds like I'm putting down all uses of property taxes. I'm not. What I'm saying is things that you were doing beyond that which was required, and a great deal of what counties do is is required by the state or the federal government, about probably 15%, 20%, somewhere in that range, depending on which county you're in, you have some latitude. Now, some counties start assuming a lot more stuff that they have no business doing. We'll talk about that in a second. But that's not being critical. That's actually, the people who are being critical is the Democrats are being critical of people who earn money, and they feel, well, I'll raise the property taxes because I want to fund insert cause, and I have to do that by raising the, the tax rate to take money away from people. And that sounds like they're stealing. And some people would say taxes are theft. A lot of libertarians would say taxes are theft. And I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we need to be, the, the mentality should be, is it really worth doing? And the federal government, it's just almost a lost cause. They're just driving the train off the cliff. $31 trillion, $33 trillion. What's a trillion between friends? What's well, about $264,000 per taxpayer in the country? So anyway... The point being, when people are in elected office, the I call it I call it a drift problem. And if you were to look at the General Assembly, and you were to look if you were to look at Democrats thirty years ago and see where they are today, at the, even at the local level and at the state level, the national level is certainly off the cliff. But the left has had a, a drift further to the left. You knew it was about civil rights. Now everything's racist. So we're you forty years. You've made no progress. We really have in society, but the left wants you to believe we haven't. You would have thought, you know, in in forty fifty years from the sixties and seventies, we've made great progress on the perception of women in the workplace. In fact, women do exceedingly well. But you would think from the political left, the progress. No, it's terrible. You know, and and back in the sixties and seventies, the Endangered Species Act was really about. You know, it was really about what it was about, endangered species. Now it's about, well, if they're endangered here, if we have purple squirrels in Charlotte and there's only a few of them and there's a lot of purple squirrels over in, I don't know, the central part of the state, Lee County or Albemarle, then they're only endangered in Mecklenburg, but they're not endangered as a species. And and so it's become, there's a massive drift with respect to what the role of government actually is. And I'm getting a little deep, don't mean to, but I'm going to come back to a point because it directs it directly related to Mecklenburg County. So 30, 40 years ago, or 50 years ago, or even when I was in office in the late 90s, yeah, I was fairly young then at one time. So when you were in elected office, you know, you you did certain things. You, you were ma- mainly, there are the, the schools in North Carolina are funded in large measure. All of the capital infrastructure for schools is paid in property taxes. There's a couple teachers, if, if a county decides it wants more than the state allots for, then they have to pay for that. Law enforcement, animal control, these things that are kind of needs. You have to make sure those, you're, you're doing the best you can, the highest possible quality at the lowest possible cost. It's kind of a no-brainer, you would think. So I'm reading through the county commission. He just gave uh, the commissioner priorities for 2024, Chairman Dunlap. And I'm thinking, as a former county commissioner, I'm thinking, and I want you to think about this. How many of the things I'm getting, these are the priorities for 2024, challenges and accomplishments. And these are the these are the big ones. These are one, two, three, four, five, there's seven of them. And I want you to think, is this really the role of county government? Early childhood development. Is that is that the role and purview of county government? It's not. 30, 40 years ago, that would have been an absurd thing to think that the county government's responsible for that. Second one, 
educational attainment. Again, that's not the purview of a county commissioner anywhere in the state. That is the purview of the school board. It's the purview of the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. It's the purview of those involved, the superintendent of public instruction, teachers, school systems, charter schools, private schools, even religious schools. But educational attainment is not the, the goal or the challenge of the county. They, it's just not. Workforce development. No, the private sector does a fantastic job of working collaboratively with community colleges and such to do that. It's not the goal or the role of county government. That's the government wanting to do more. And it makes it so much more difficult to deal with. Housing insecurity. And so we can't use the phrase affordable housing. It's housing insecurity. Again, not the role of county government. Health access, not the role of county government. But these are the priorities that have been put forth by the Mecklenburg County Commission chair moments ago. Environmental stewardship, again, not the role of county government. It's just not. And racial equity. Racial equity. Notice we've gone from racial equality to racial equity, which is the under the auspices of which you redistribute things. You, you create disparities between races under the auspices that one race has been disparaged. And in this instance, they're talking about black and white. They're not talking about indigenous. They're not talking about Asian. They're not talking about Indian. They're not talking about anything except black and white. None of those priorities are actually the priorities of any county governance. None of those should be. Those are not the role of county government. Nothing about public safety. Did you notice there was nothing in there about public safety? There was nothing in there about, about lowering taxes or protecting property rights. There was nothing in there about, about ensuring that the private sector can operate and, and be, be better, that the private sector will be protected in some way so they can create more jobs. Because a successful economy, economy deals with all of those issues, every single one of them. A successful economy addresses those issues in, in the most fair, direct, free market principles work. Capitalism works. That was a rejection of that. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Uh, we're going to let you know, Ben Moss, it, it does make a difference, you folks that are out there. Uh, ben Moss is a legislator who's running for labor commissioner in 2024. He has de decided to flip his vote uh, against Medicaid expansion. He was for it. Now he's against it, sees that what we've been talking about, what you've been talking about, what others, there's been a lot of pressure building against Republicans on this. It's not selling well. And by the way, the standing standing interview request to uh, Phil Berger's office is still there, out to his staff. His staff is aware. We said, uh, not only did I say, you know, you're welcome to come on, he's welcome to come on, anybody, any Republican that's in support of Medicaid expansion, welcome to come on. So that invite is out there. Uh, the Speaker's office is, pro tem is aware of that. President Pro Tem of the, speak, uh, of the Senate is welcome. I've also put it out there to several House members, but several House members I've talked to are not voting for it. In fact, many of them say this deal isn't done. So grassroots pressure is building. It is making a difference, and it is becoming problematic for Republicans. Just to give you an update from yesterday to today. So there are people that uh, that pressure is increasing, 
and it's just not selling well to expand. You know, when you ask them one of the questions, any if you happen to run across one, say, do you believe Medicaid will be more efficient, more effective, or cost less and be less full of waste, fraud, and abuse in 10 years? Because you're banking on, you're, you're saying all this money's going to flow in to North Carolina. You're going to apparently help hospitals. The best thing to do for hospitals and medical care in North Carolina is introduce competition, get government out of the way. And one of the greatest things we could do nationally is stop with the, the silliness of insurance and do a catastrophic policy. But that, that is a long-term discussion. That's another discussion. The point being is competition would help North Carolina a lot. Get rid of the certificate of need laws. Get rid of all of them. We have 27 or so. We're one of a handful of states that still have these arcane, archaic, ridiculous, take a knee to the governor kind of laws. We need to get rid of them. The only people protecting them are the hospital cartels that are making tens of billions uh, in ridiculous, non-transparent. Did you know only during the Trump era, there was a requirement that hospitals be more transparent with their billing. Did you know only 15% of hospitals nationwide are compliant with that years later? Only 15%. Many of those in North Carolina are not. Not compliant at all. They don't have any intention of being compliant. They don't care. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's their attitude. It's many of these, these, these massive hospitals, just this attitude of, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're not going to do anything. The legis- we own the legislature. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to take us on. And that's a dangerous position to take. They're, it's just unbelievable how bad they are at this. Uh, and, and on speaking of unbelievably bad, uh, did anyone watch the Wolfpack last night? <laughs> or, uh, and, and I'm saying this is a Wolfpack fan. Of course, we're used to it. I think one of my friends said, is it is it child abuse to raise your kid as a Wolfpack fan? You know, you Tar Heel fans, it was fascinating to watch the Tar Heel fans. Uh, so dejected. They're not accustomed to losing close games or or big games. And so the the amount of, of dejection will we'll dovetail from Tar Heel fans in a minute. State fans, we were like surprised that we did so well in the first half. I mean, the Clemson Tigers had whooped up on us twice earlier in the season, and here's ACC tournament. And the first half, the first half of the first half, we played. We were playing like a team possessed. It was lights out basketball for for a glorious ten minutes. It was a beautiful game, and then the Wolfpack became what we're used to, and they got kicked around that course like yesterday's news. It was horrible. It was just, but but I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I'm I'm accustomed to this, and I'm a big Keens, a Kevin Keens fan. He coached at UNCW, uh, where I went to undergrad, and he did a great job there. Two NCAA appearances, one at NC State. So maybe, but they played. They went from playing like mature, poised twenty-year-olds to really immature, woke fifteen-year-olds. It was just impatient, throwing things up there. It was just, it was just embarrassing. Now I dovetail this to Carolina fans because there's a reason. You know, you've, you've heard it. It was on Fox News last night. We've talked about it before. I'm sure Pete's mentioned it on the show, is this this climate anxiety. So you see all these Tar Heel fans dejected because they're not accustomed to the reality that most teams face with losses. And, and, and if you dovetail that into modern society, you find this reality in the climate. The, the left, the progressives, do not realize the damage they have done. So they've been very successful at indoctrinating kids. They've been very successful at getting the media to accept that all things in climate are bad and they're all going to result in terrible things. The sea levels are going to rise. The oceans are going to boil. You know, children are going to be born with two heads. It's horrible. They, they've gotten, they've kind of won that part of the PR battle to the point that there's a lot of what they call eco-anxiety was a term that's been around for a couple of years now. I saw it on the news, but it's been around for a while. Where And if you have any 16, 15, to 22-year-olds in your family, 
And they, if they've been to college, really check in on them because you know suicide rates are at an all-time high. But worse is they've they've been indoctrinated to believe they shouldn't have kids, that it would be irresponsible to have kids, that it would be that they 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 really feel the pressure of the world ending because their minds. If if you shove all of this information into someone's head, you really give them a sense of hopelessness. And then you turn them and say, you know, here's your education. Climate change is happening. It's a terrible thing. Uh, the governments have ruined the world for you. It's terrible. There's so much of this terrible wildlife, great extinction event. You know what? But by here's your diploma. Go, go have a great life. And then they wonder why these kids are withdrawn, why they sit there on video games all day, why they don't want to participate in society, why they want to stay home with mom and dad. If you thought the world was over, what would you want to do? What would you want to do? You, you wouldn't be excited. To, you know, heretofore, most every generation had this belief. I don't care if it was in the, even coming out of the Dark Ages, I think. There was a, a significant number of people that felt the future was yet to be written. And now we've been told the future has been written. So every heretofore, everyone felt that the next great invention was right around the corner, that the next great innovation was right around the corner, that the next great company, the next great opportunity, the opportunity to be better, bolder, it, it was there. It was yet to be. It was the undiscovered country, for lack of a better word. Star Trek reference, I guess. It was, it was the, next, the next thing. This optimism, this, um, this relentless pursuit of optimistic endeavors is what propels young people to become the next whatever. Einstein, Steve Jobs, insert, insert great change. Elon Musk, I don't care. But we're, we're robbing. Our educational institutions are robbing kids of that. They're taking away, you know, you can live, what, seven days without food, maybe longer, a couple days without water, but you can only live about a day without hope. You take somebody's hope away, you've robbed them of something significant in life. And most of these progressive policies are really aimed at there is no hope. There is, it's a sense of hope. Everything in that progressive jar of pickles is hopelessness. And that's what they're selling to the American public. But for government, everything is hopeless. You can't do it on your own. You're a victim. You can't do it on your own. The climate's going to kill you. Only the government can save you from climate change. Only the government, the UN, the World Health Organization, can save you from the zombie apocalypse, can save you from what's coming. Because everyone else screwed it up. Only we, the altruistic, angelic people in government, from the local level, dealing with that, that, that hopeless list from your county commission here in Mecklenburg County, to the UN. All of it is but for government, everything would fall apart. And it's just not true. It's just, it, it's, it's a complete and utter fallacy. And we'll talk about more of that because we've got to get to ESG because this is a poorly understood concept. We've got to talk about it. Chad Adams in for Pete Callender. Pleasure. Hope Pete gets better. Back in the seat. He should be. Uh, get a few days of rest recuperation and back in the driver's seat here at WBT. Thanks to the staff making it all sound wonderful. Um, you know, I was reflecting on the role of government in the, in the previous segments and and kind of that if you notice what the progressives push, it's not about they get so lost in their own logic that things that they should be taking great credit for our air is cleaner. Our water is better in spite of stories. To the country it really is. We have more thermometer sensors than we've ever had, and yet we think that climate change is the end of the world, even though we weren't recording all of this 150 years ago. It's the end of the world now because we know we've got 100 years of data to show that the world is over. Anyway, 
but they don't realize that what they're pushing is not hope. What they're pushing is not positive. What they're pushing is not incredulous about the nature and notion of life itself. They are more likely to tell you about the wonders of a penguin you likely will never see than the wonders of what your kids can accomplish and do in life. That, that's, that's an astounding, and yet when we see stuff, we're more likely to be upset about an animal that gets mistreated than humans that get mistreated because we have become, we have become in many ways detached from the things that we do to each other. We've become detached from it, and then we've gotten to the point, we've gotten so absurd that when the progressives took over large cities, they started saying, well, let's just not prosecute bad guys to a certain point because they're not all bad, they're victims. You know, there's all these conceptual things they throw at you and say, well, we shouldn't prosecute that. Let's not, because, and then it just gets worse. All they've done is hit the speed dial on bad stuff. They've just amped it up. They've like, you know, said, let's all calm down. And then they distributed crack pipes to everybody and said, now it'll be all nice and better. That's what not prosecuting criminals does. I didn't mean they literally distributed crack pipes, although I think probably in some places they do. The point being, it's, it's, they're creating their own train wreck and they're robbing us. The, the future, if you tell a bunch, if you tell 25 million 18, 19, 20-year-olds that there's not a lot of hope, what, what, what does that, what's the net result of that policy? Do they want to go out and create great companies? Do they want to go out and work hard? Do they want to go start families and live life? And look, the drudgery of life, it sucks a lot of times. In fact, most of the time, it probably, I don't care what your income level is. I mean, money makes things a little nicer, but it doesn't make you happy. And so the left is trying to rob you of that. The, the quest for success, somehow if you have a quest for success, you're bad. They need to pay their fair share. What's the fair share, Your Honor? Well, fair share is what I say it is. Well, that's fascist. No, it's not. You're the fascist. <laughs> I want to give you more freedom. That's fascist. What do you mean it's fascist? You're trying, you're trying to tell me what to do. No, I'm not. I'm trying to turn you loose. Be free. Well, that's fascist. No, it's not. The left projects all these things on people. And I know I've gone down a rabbit hole with that. Didn't mean to. But my perspective, because I want to get into the ESG stuff, and we're not going to be able to, to digest it. You've heard the phrase ESG. It gets tossed around a lot. Governor Cooper's all in with it. The Democrats are all in with it. It is a. They've realized that the capital markets are doing quite well without the progressives having any control over it. They don't like that. So the way to take control of financial and capital markets is to take all of these things because they realized, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll set it up a little bit. The political left has realized that the only way they, they, they never could get socialism on its own because people realize, oh God, Stalin killed 20 million people that the National Socialist of Germany exterminated 6 million Jews, that the, that the political ramifications of socialism from Venezuela to Cuba to communist China to old Russia were that people die. They starve to death. It's horrible. The only people that do very well are the mem members of government. So in order to sell this to you and make socialism acceptable, long about 1989 through the early 90s, they started realizing, ah, there is one solution. There is one thing that people seem to get. They get the global climate, anthropogenic global warming, all that stuff. That's really boring to most people on the right, but it drives the left. They're excited. They're happy about that. So they get the UN involved. They get they get they start making policies around it. Your cars have to have higher gas mileage. We have to push for electric cars. We have to subsidize all these alternative energies, and we'll get to that as well. 
And then you realize, wait a minute, the real way, the real path to socialism is global warming and climate change stuff, because we can do all of the things we want. We can control the means of production. We can control the energy production. We can control all of that through government under the auspices of climate change and make government very powerful. So the one inescapable truth they had to deal with was the, the markets were not adhering to this. They weren't doing what the left wanted them to do. They weren't. They were investing the way they wanted to. They looked at profits and losses. They looked at companies that were coming on. They looked at someone like Amazon and said, wow, Amazon's going to surpass Walmart. Walmart surpassed Kmart. Kmart surpassed Sears. They look at this and they invest in that. They invest in in winners and losers. And we have 401ks and mutual funds and, and, a, and a host of markets that we can invest our money in. So the left came up with ESG. And it's not like every other acronym, emotional, social learning, or uh, critical race theory. This one is is about the way in which the government can set goals for what, and get you to invest in stuff. It's ESG. It's the next great thing. Environmental, social governance. Environmental, social governments. It's a way to do investing used to screen. So you get you get a pool. And you get people to invest in it, saying, oh, wow, this is a great mutual fund kind of thing. It's an ESG. BlackRock does it. Lots of other companies are doing it. And then you can base those investments on corporate policies to encourage companies to act responsibly. So instead of the company creating wealth, jobs, products, innovations, you now only invest in companies that meet your guys. So it's the investor determining the company rather than the company determining the investor. Mutual funds, brokerage firms, robo-advisors offer investment products that employ ESG principles. It can also help portfolios avoid holding companies engaging in riskier and ethical practices. Again, these have become very powerful, and they have become weapons. They've got so much money in many of these now, they can be used as weapons. They could move into a company that they don't really like and then just cut it off and, and devalue the company. Rapid growth has led to claims that companies have been insincere or misleading and touting their accomplishments. So why would I tell you this? It's about as exciting as watching paint dry, isn't it? It really is. Go watch the trees grow outside, Chad. That's how exciting this topic is. But when you realize... So I, I'm watching the Triangle Business Journal, central part of the state. I'm reading it. The energy system is undergoing rapid change, including shifts in electricity generation, transportation. During this transition, businesses, governments, and universities like UNC Chapel Hill have set ambitious environmental, social, and governance goals, ESG goals. ESG, the government determining this. The result, North Carolina has positioned itself as a leader, yet... To meet these goals, the Tar Heel State must take full advantage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. It's a massive spending. The largest investment to date by the U.S. to modernize the energy system. There's a lot here. We'll talk more about it on the other side of the break. Second hour, getting ready to be underway here at WBT. Chad, I'm your guest host. We'll be right back after this. 